Welcome to Crosswords, the podcast about practical Christianity. What does it look like to walk in Jesus' footsteps? How do I live in a culture hostile to godliness? These are questions that we'll answer on each podcast as we get our heart and mind on Jesus. All scriptures quoted are from the New International Version. You can follow me on Twitter at Kingdom underscore Saint. Walk with the Lord today and be a blessing. Good afternoon, family. It's great to be here with you on this first day of the week. God bless you all. Thank you, Kevin, for God's justice is truly amazing. Amen. In this episode that we're going to be looking at today, there's something else that we as human beings want to know. Jesus is going to discuss the rewards of obedience with his disciples. And I know we all have pondered upon the current blessings we enjoy as disciples of Jesus. We believe we will be in bliss in heaven in the presence of God. That's something that motivates us. We look towards that and say, wow, I can't wait for that to happen. Sometimes, though, I know we need to be reminded of what are these current rewards, because those you know, we can't really see them. We can imagine them. But what about the current rewards? What about the things that we can enjoy right now? Are there any promises that Jesus makes about that? And we need to be reminded of them when things get difficult, when things get challenging for our faith. Another question that we're going to answer today is also, there are some people who become Christians at a very young age, versus those that get baptized at their 11th hour. Is there a difference between the rewards that they receive? If, by, if I've been working all my life in God's kingdom, and all of a sudden somebody gets baptized, they're 99 years old, and they die in, the, in a month, am I, hey, look, I, I worked hard, and I worked for 50 years in God's kingdom, and I, am I going to expect more for me than for that person. Is it fair for those who were baptized in their deathbed to receive the same reward as those who've been in the kingdom all their life? So we're going to answer these questions in today's episode. Also in today's lesson, we're going to define a few interesting Greek words that are very unique in uh, the Bible. We don't want to end up letting our passions be our guide or letting our passions guide our conscience when it is something that ought to be done by faith. Similarly, Jesus just had a conversation like this. We're actually going to get to it in one of these coming Bible classes when Jesus has a conversation with the rich, young ruler. And again, the subject of riches and material possessions is brought up along the lines of what our brother Mark presented last week. The disciples, in seeing how Jesus interacted with this rich young ruler, were a bit upset because they heard Jesus say some really tough things and very difficult to swallow, very difficult to accept that, wow, you know, if you, if you want to have some stuff in life, you know, if, who doesn't want to have a house or a car, you know, or, or some material possessions? You're, you're trying to tell me 
that if I try to get those things, if I try to just fulfill my American dream, I'm in danger of shipwrecking my faith. Is that what you're saying, Jesus? And Jesus' reply was, with man, yeah, it's going to happen. You can't save yourself. But with God, all things are possible. So yeah, if you don't let faith be your guide, yes, you're going to end up being shipwrecked. And Peter, as usual, you know, that answer didn't sit well with him. <laughs> so he's going to immediately come up to Jesus and say, look, we've given everything up to follow you. What am I going to get out of it? Sounds a little selfish, doesn't it? What am I going to get out of this, Jesus? I left everything to follow you. You're telling this rich young guy that it's going to be hard for him to get to heaven? I mean, I've, I left everything. What about me? What's going to happen here? And Jesus said to them, I guarantee this truth. When the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne in the world to come, you, my followers, will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, notice how Jesus didn't uh, chastise him for asking this question. Jesus actually validated his question. It's not bad to want to know, hey, what am I going to get out of this? You know, some of us sacrifice quite a lot to follow Christ. Willingly, not that somebody was bending our arm to do it. We know what is right. We know what is more valuable. But it's not bad to know, okay, you know, what, what's going to happen? How am I going to re be rewarded for this? It's not a wrong question to ask. As a matter of fact, Jesus wants us to know what the result, what the reward for obedient faith is, is something he wants us to know quite clearly. Uh, Jesus gives Peter two answers here. One that is specific for them, for the 12, and the other for all those who would follow Jesus, including us. So we have to contextualize the answer so that we don't get confused as to what Jesus is saying here. And there's an interesting phrase that is brought up again that we need to examine and define. Translated from a singular Greek word found in verse 28. It's, it's highlighted in blue up here, and that's the phrase, the world to come. In the King James, I believe it's translated as the regeneration, okay, or the new age. And that Greek word is palihenesia, which occurs one, uh, two times in the New Testament, another word that has very few occurrences. But we can also, uh, from where it occurs, we can get the context of this word that we're going to define and use in our lesson today. And what does this word mean? It just simply means to begin again, or rebirth, or regeneration, or renovation. The only other time this word appears in the Bible is in Titus chapter 3, verse 5, when it speaks of the regeneration that comes by the Holy Spirit. So it's a word specifically attributed to the working of the Spirit, to the kind of work that the Spirit does. So what does that mean? When Jesus says, okay, uh, when, uh, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne in the regeneration, you, my followers, addressing 12, will sit on 12 thrones, 
judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Is he talking about heaven when we get to heaven? Uh, you know, that's one way that you could interpret it. Or does he mean something else? Could it mean when the church, when God's kingdom is established on earth, after God poured out his spirit and the gospel was preached in the book of Acts, this is the period between Pentecost and the second coming of Christ, the period that we're still in right now, called the age of the church. We're right now living in the age of the church. This is the regeneration. Matter of fact, that's how Paul addresses it in Titus chapter 3, verse 5. This is what actually the Holy Spirit is doing right now. He is regenerating us. Those of us who are in God's kingdom are being regenerated every day. It's newer and newer, right? As our outward decays, our inner man gets renewed day by day. That's the regeneration. And isn't it true? Because Jesus right now, isn't he sitting on his glorious throne as, as we speak? Right? And isn't, as a matter of fact, the 12 apostles, aren't they judging the 12 tribes of Israel? Don't we say uh, that, as Ephesians 2.20 says, that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets? Isn't it their word right now that judges the 12 tribes of Israel? So I'm convinced that this is speaking of this church age. And as we get on a little more with the lesson, you'll, I hope that you'll make the same connection if you haven't already. So I believe that this second interpretation really fits with the use of the word in the context of Titus 3.5 as well. And Jesus said that his 12 apostles will be sitting on 12 thrones. And they were like, okay, well, that's, <laughs> that sounds great, Jesus. Anything else? You know, what, what else? Uh, they probably, that probably went right over their head, you know, what he said there. And then he says, and everyone, now he includes everyone here. He says, everyone who gave up homes, brothers, sisters, father, mother, children, or fields, because of my name, notice that, because of my name, will receive a hundred times more and will inherit eternal life. However, many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. Notice the cause here, because of my name. If people, if those who follow Jesus have given up these things for the gospel, for the namesake of Christ, Jesus promises something here. You will receive a hundred times more in this life. Now, how do you know that how do I know that it is in this life? Well, hold on a minute. Wait, we're going to look at another passage that clarifies it. And then in the next life, eternal life. When there are carnal and material sacrifices that we make for the name of Jesus, we are demonstrating our faith. This is what obedient faith is all about sacrificing the things that perhaps our society or our culture holds dear for what exactly? Not for a job, not for me, not to become famous, but for the namesake of Christ. That is an indication that my faith is an obedient faith. And I'm included here in those rewards. We're saying we believe 
there is something more than what my culture or my generation is offering me. There is something more than what the world says I should pay attention to. I'm going to believe what Jesus is telling me is coming and not what my society says. So we're buying into Christ and his church. We're not buying into the scheme of the world. And that's the difference between a faith that is shipwrecked and a faith that makes its way home. A faith that has the rewards of being an obedient faith, willing to give up homes, willing to give up possessions, willing to give up family relations. Some people say family is everything, right? And I've seen it, you know, in my own family, family is first. And not that I'm against that, of course, you know, we want to put families first, but not before Jesus. He is first, right? So that's a, that's a big difference right there. Jobs, you know, how many people put their job, their education, provisions, things having to do with provisions. Well, hey, I, I got to feed my family. I got to pay the rent. I got to pay for this. I, you know, I got to put my provisions first. So for some people that becomes very important. But Jesus is saying here, look, if you've given up things like this for my name, you're going to receive a hundred times more in this life. And many of you here have experienced that firsthand. I know that. You've been witnesses of this blessing because you yourself have put Christ first. You've left homes, many of you. You've left possessions. And you have received many more than what you gave up, haven't you? Many more times what you gave up because your life hasn't ended yet, so there's still more to come. You have left relations with those perhaps in your family that persecuted you or disagreed with you or tried to turn you away from Christ. You said, you know what? You might be my mother. You might be my father. You might be my blood brother or sister, but we have to break here because I have to follow Christ. And you did that. And because you believed him over them, you've been blessed with hundreds of more right here. You have them right here before you. Brothers and sisters that are more deep than blood brothers or sisters because they're blood brothers and sisters by the blood of Christ. So you're living the rewards of your faith right here, right now. Many of you have been so encouraged to hear throughout the years how you left jobs, you left careers that you knew were going to cause your faith to be shipwrecked. Jobs that paid you very well. And yet you left them behind because you knew that nothing could stand in the way of the inheritance that Jesus has waiting for you in heaven. And you gladly left those careers, left those jobs, left those worldly callings because you put the kingdom first. Because you remember when you were baptized that now I am a citizen of a greater kingdom, not this United States of America or whatever country you're from. These will disappear, but we have a citizenship in heaven. And you are blessed, aren't you? Aren't you more blessed now because you did those things? And you're still looking forward to more to come along with troubles and many other things that come from being a disciple of Christ. But that's okay. We can accept those things. And on top of all this, Jesus says, eternal life. I want to make a pause here and define that term for you, eternal life. 
This is just more than extended life, okay? Uh, zoe ionos. Zoe is the Greek word for life. But it doesn't mean life as opposed to death because there's another Greek word for that, and that's the word bios from biology, right? Bios means life, the life contrasted with death. No, we're not talking about that here. We're not talking about extension of our biological life. Who would want that? We're talking about Zoe. We're talking about a state of vitality, life, and animation. That's what Zoe means. You have vigor. You have vitality. You're like, yeah, you know, you're excited. You're ready to go, and nothing can dampen that down. Jesus says that's the kind of life that is forever. And some of us, we, we've experienced that, right? At moments, maybe when, when we were young, right? we had vitality and people had to tell us to calm down because you know, we were perhaps a little too eager to go ahead and do things. And then as we get older, that wanes a little bit. Maybe we're not feeling as, as, as uh, animated anymore, as vigorous, perhaps, although we might have our moments still, you know, after a good night's sleep. Uh, we might feel a little vigorous, but that quickly wanes as we get older. No, this is not like that at all. This is an everlasting vitality, an everlasting vigor, a genuine, active, living, Jesus says, that never ends. It will not experience any kind of waning. How, how do you like that? <laughs> Aren't you looking forward to that? But in order to get that, this has to go because this is what steals our vitality away, doesn't it, as we get older. So this qualifier eternal Ionius just simply means that it will be like that for you, vitality, vigor, active living without ending. The Bible speaks of this age to come, everlasting vitality, once we shed these physical bodies, and put on immortality. Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians 15, 54. How many of us, how many of us right now are tasting, are experiencing the waning of that vitality and vigor? Some of you young people probably are not, but some of us that are a little older, we know it comes to an end. It doesn't last forever. But once we remove and shed these mortal bodies, we can look forward for that vitality to come. So who can say no? Who's going to say no to these kind of rewards? There are many, many blessings. Now I'm going to share with you the parallel passage in Mark that actually makes it even clearer. Some of the things that I pointed out here and maybe adds some other things that maybe... We weren't looking forward to be added, but it does. Again, Peter speaks up. He says, we've given everything up to follow you. Jesus said, I can guarantee this truth. Anyone who gave up his home, brothers, sisters, mother, father, children, or fields. When he says fields, he's talking about provisions. So we can put that in place of that nowadays, career, job, something like that, something that, that provides for you, right? Because of me and the good news. So if you've given up any of these things because of me and the good news, you will certainly receive a hundred times as much. And notice how in this passage, he makes it clear. In this life, right now, this is a 
blessing that you will be able to palpate, that you will be able to experience if you give up these things for me. Look at what he says. They will certainly receive homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields along with persecutions. <laughs> and persecutions, Jesus had talked about that. That shouldn't be a surprise because Jesus mentioned in the Beatitudes how persecutions are a sign that we are blessed. They're a sign of the people of God, of the kingdom citizens. Notice something here. Notice how we will receive homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children. And he kind of forgot one, didn't he? He doesn't mention fathers. Why is that? He says, anyone who gave up home, brother, sister, mother, father, children, feels. But then when, when he says in the next line, he says, they will receive homes, brothers, sisters, mothers. He skipped over fathers. Why is that? Because we only have one heavenly father. That's why. You don't need another father. You only have one. And that's who you will always need. No more, no less. And then he repeats at the end this cryptic phrase, but many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. We ought not to feel bad for desiring to know what our rewards are going to be. What are the blessings that we can experience for having left material things, for having to say no to the worldly schemes and buying into the kingdom of heaven. What are the blessings? It's not something bad. Or for letting the promise of eternal life even be our driving force behind our conversion or our fellowship at times. I have to confess to you many times in my Christianity when things get hard and I'm being tempted, I have to remember what's in store for me. Am I willing to give it up so easily just for some present temporary pleasure? And I was like, no way, Jose. <laughs> I've got that clear in my mind. But I have to remind myself. I have to remind myself what the blessings of obedience are. And I don't want to give that up. Because I've really bought into Jesus' kingdom. It may sound selfish. But Jesus doesn't chastise Peter for wanting to know what his rewards are for following him. Jesus wants us to have a faith that is firm and secure, a faith that is real. Remember, our faith is not just an imagination, but it's based on fact. It ba it's based on evidence. It's based on things that I have experienced right here, right now. So there's that element to our fellowship of Christ that is real and that we ought to testify to people about as well, as well as the persecutions. That's real too. Right? You have to accept those as well. If you noticed, both passages in Mark and Matthew end with the cryptic message, many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. What does this mean? Well, let's follow along the next chapter in Matthew chapter 20, verse 1 through 16, where Jesus is going to explain that phrase via a parable. He starts out by saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out at daybreak to hire workers for his vineyard. After agreeing to pay the workers the usual day's wages, he sent them to work in his vineyard. So here's a parable explaining, as it says in the beginning, 
a principle in the kingdom of heaven. Now, I want to remind you when Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven, he's talking about the church. When he says, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like, which many of his parables often start with that phrase, he's trying to express a spiritual principle that we will find working in the church right now in the age of the church. He's not talking about heaven. He's talking about right here, right now, most of the parables, okay? So he says, it's like a landowner. Uh, who's the landowner? Well, we can say that the landowner is God. And God is seeking workers for his vineyard, for the church. He continues, about 9 a.m., he saw others standing in the marketplace without work. He said to them, work in my vineyard, and I'll give you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and 3 p.m. and did the same thing. If you like this podcast, please show your support by clicking on the support link on my Anchor FM profile. This ensures I will continue producing authentic Christian content as the Lord allows me. Thank you and have a blessed day. So vineyards were very common in those days. People would go to the market, wait for men like this landowner to come and offer them work. Not too different from what we see out there today either. Many people kind of waiting in the corner, waiting for the pickup truck to come and take him to work somewhere, right? Days and nights consisted of 12 hours each. And the usual work day, kind of similar to today, lasted from sunrise to sunset, which in that part of the world would be from 6 a.m. probably till 6 p.m. So when he says early in the morning, he probably means 6 a.m. when he says daybreak here. And then the day would be divided into quarters. So the third hour would be 9 a.m. The sixth hour would be noon. And the ninth hour would be 3 p.m. So that's where we're getting those times from. Now notice here, at 5 p.m., this is like the 11th hour of the workday. At 5 p.m., the landowner still went out and found some others standing around. He said to them, why are you standing here all day long without work? No one has hired us, they answered him. He said to them, work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard told the supervisor, call the workers, give them their wages. Start with the last and end with the first. Those who started working about 5 p.m. came and each received a day's wages. Notice how this landowner is very generous. He goes up to like when there's only one hour of work left. And he goes and looks for people to hire to work at his vineyard. But what makes this amazing is that he's willing to pay the guy who worked one hour the same amount than the guy who worked there all day. That shows he's a very generous landowner. But that doesn't sit too well with the rest of the people there. Notice, when those who had been hired first came, they expected to receive more. But each of them received a day's wages. Although they took it, they began to protest to the owner. They said, these last workers have worked only one hour. Yet, 
You've treated us all the same, even though we've worked hard all day under a blazing sun. The owner said to them, friend, I'm not treating you unfairly. Didn't you agree with me on a day's wages? Take your money and go. I want to give this last worker as much as I gave you. Can I do what I want with my own money? Or do you resent my generosity towards others? In this way, Jesus ends the parable. The last will be first and the first will be last. We see here that greed and envy arise in us while we're in the flesh, which is another reason why I believe this parable is speaking of the church age. Who's going to be greedy in heaven? <laughs> Who's going to say in heaven, hey, you gave more to that guy than I had? Nobody. Well, so this is talking about a time right now when our fleshly passions are still active. Don't be envious of others because they might seem to have received more favor from the Lord than you. And oftentimes that is just short-sightedness. You know, when we judge other people, we tend to not be too good at judging what God has given us. We tend to forget how much God has blessed us because we're too busy focusing maybe on what we don't have or on what that person has that I don't have. And that shouldn't be. Besides, we don't want to get angry with God because of his generosity. After all, I have to remember God has been extremely generous with me. And even if I don't get anything more than I've already gotten, I've had enough. I've gotten a lot. Should I want more from God? He's going to give me eternal life. What more than that can I possibly imagine? And he's given me all of you and all your homes too. So keep that room open for me. You know, Don't give it to somebody else. <laughs> we have to remember that these rewards that Jesus is speaking of here, they're not earned. I'm not working for them. Okay? They are bestowed upon me by God's grace and mercy. I'm not working for this rewards. I could never do it. I can work for my death, right? The wages of sin is death. I can earn that. But the free gift of God is eternal life. These rewards, these blessings are by God's grace and mercy. Now notice what he says here at the end. He says, in this way, in verse 16, the last will be first and the first will be last. So this tells me from this verse that he was still answering Peter's question, wasn't he? About the rewards people get for following Jesus. He's, he, he wasn't done yet. He's not just talking about this parable and shifting gears on the disciples. No, he was answering their question. Still on the same topic. When people become Christians, they are, quote unquote, hired by God to work in his vineyard. As a matter of fact, this is one of the fields or one of the work uh, that is multiplied for you when you put the kingdom first in lieu of your career. Because we all have whatever careers or jobs we work for. But more importantly, what is the job that God has given us? The work of the kingdom. Let's not forget that. We've been hired by God. Some of us are blessed, like me, to make this our actual career in life. That is an amazing blessing. So whether you are called early or later in your life, your reward 
is still the same all around. You don't get more of a reward for having worked longer than those who were called into the kingdom at their 11th hour. The giving of their daily wage, which in your some other versions like the NIV, the ESV, uh, it says denarius, that was the daily wage. That represents right there our eternal life. When we get paid at the end of the workday, that's when we die, by the way. That's when we get paid our daily wage, which is what? Eternal life, right? That's in keeping with the rest of the parable and the context that Jesus presents here. Christ was not saying, he's not saying, I want to make clear, to wait until you are old to become a Christian. He's not saying that, okay? <laughs> Nowhere in the Bible is this suggested. You might miss your window if you wait, right? It might come upon you as a surprise, like in that other parable we read a few Wednesdays ago, when the guy was busy thinking about all the things that he could build to hold all his stuff, and then what happened? God called him. He missed the boat. No, we don't want to wait for that. What this lesson is saying is that you are never too old, and it is never too late to come into God's kingdom. Do it while the door is open. It's also a great illustration of God's mercy and his grace that he, still at the 11th hour of many people's lives, he's seeking them. He's knocking on their door saying, hey, why are you still standing there? <laughs> oh, nobody has put me to work. Well, come work for me. God is still merciful. He's still calling us. He went to the market even with only one hour left in the workday. I don't know about you, but maybe for some of you, it is your 11th hour. You never know when that's going to come. So please, I beg you, start your work in the kingdom today. Realize that God is calling you to work in his vineyard. Maybe you need to rededicate your life today. Maybe you've forgotten that you are an actual worker in the kingdom of God. Maybe you get, got a little lost in these past few years and you need to get your bearings straightened out. That you're not really here to fulfill some kind of American dream or whatever dream you may have. But that we're here to work in the kingdom of God. You need to reorient yourself. Let's do that today. When do you think about doing that today? As we discussed, there are just too many blessings to miss out on. Too many that you don't even know of. And the risk is simply too great not to do it. Jesus demonstrated his commitment to us by giving up his life. He was willing to give it up 100%. Why? Why, he, why did he make such a big risky move like that. Let's think about that. He put it all in because he knows what's coming. He wants us to think about that. By his sacrifice, we can receive God's spirit when we are baptized in his name. And that first step of obedience is to be immersed in water to be forgiven so that we can leave our old life behind and now be those regenerated kingdom citizens that are experiencing regeneration 
every single day. Yes, at the same time, we're experiencing decay, but that's just in our flesh. I think God is trying to teach us through that not to put our identity in the flesh. How long is it going to take for us to figure that out? That my identity doesn't belong with, with this flesh. It belongs with the new person being made new in Christ. This is how we are able to be regenerated. It's not something that we have the power to do. There is no psychology or drug or therapy that is going to regenerate you. I want to make that clear. The world cannot offer true regeneration. Only God can. Only in his spirit. I'm not putting down any of those things, but those things cannot regenerate you. Those things cannot give you life eternal. Only God can. So if you've allowed something in this life to distract you from the blessings and the reward of the Lord, God has given you one day, again, today, to repent. He has called this day a day for you to change, to repent, to reject the worldly passions and promises because you don't know when your 11th hour will come. We also don't know when God's 11th hour will come. Let's procure to find ourselves working in his holy vineyard. After services, we're going to have some time here to pray together. Maybe you can bring up some things that have been interfering with your dedication to God. Let's go before the Lord together and pray so that you can make sure of your focus and keep that kingdom of God as first in your life. God bless you. Have a good day.